She is in the hospital right now because she is acutely suicidal. Um, she, her relationship with Jesus has been very complicated, and I don't know if she's ever, like, decided to follow him for herself. It's just been, like, a family thing. So the beautiful thing about the gospel is how much God values life and how life is so precious to him and how he redeems any kind of life to be used for his purpose. So I just pray that God would be revealing that to her in this time and that that is the point of the gospel is life with God and abundance. So, yeah, just mm. be praying for her, please. Yeah, thanks for sharing that, Audrey. <laughs> uh, hi, everyone. Uh, I'm Jacob. Uh, I have a couple things. The first one, because you know, to respond to, to Evan's prompt, uh, I just really like how succinctly um, the Bible like explains the gospel. Like it's not something that we have to guess at what it is. Mm. I like, like in Romans one. This is for I, when Paul writes, "For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith and for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith." And I just like how succinctly it puts it. Doesn't make us you know kind of speculate on what's included or what isn't included. Um, mm. But also. Yeah. I wanted to both praise and pray for my sister. She is, well, one, she's graduating from SDSU in May, which is super awesome, mm -hmm. so praise for that. Um, but she's also going, she got accepted into what's called the Disney College Program. Basically what that means is it's like a nine-month internship where she would be working for Disney and then kind of getting a job from there. Um, mm -hmm. So she wants to do that because her end goal is to be in the Rockets, which is something she definitely can do. But anyway, <laughs> this is kind of like a... Her, Don't you speak that over her? <laughs> she's definitely capable of doing it. <laughs> I'm teasing. But anyway, um, so with the, her like taking that more performance yeah. track, it's what she does after college isn't as straightforward as, say, engineering. Right. Um, but so that's yeah. a really cool thing that she's able to do. It just gives her connections and stuff. But um, So she'll be going there in May. And there until about January. So just awesome. prayers for her for making that move to Florida with a friend of hers who also got accepted. So oh, cool. that's really cool. But just prayers for for her for hopefully kind of being able to, I think, really kind of start a faith mm -hmm. life for her. Because she's like where I was where she just doesn't, didn't go to church because it wasn't convenient. So just mm -hmm. prayers that when she's there, she finds the community and that it's the right community. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. yeah. Prayers for her for that's that. That's great. Her name's Kayla, right? Kayla, yeah. Kayla. I pray for your sister. That's exciting. Just down the aisle. Uh, I'm Luke. Um, I just kind of wanted to give a general praise for healing. Um, I mean, I think I've shared a lot before uh, recently with my shoulder. Um, I actually, I finally heard back. I don't need surgery, which is nice awesome. Cow. That's good. Um, and I actually decided to forego uh, physical therapy because it's just been healing on its own very well. Um, so that's awesome. But um, just in addition with that, just some great, like, emotional healing with some recent events in my life. And then also just with um, uh, basically the entirety of my of the month, um, my grandmother has been visiting my family down in Colorado. And just like a week or so ago, um, both my grandma and my mom tested positive for COVID. Um, and especially with my grandma, I was really worried because um, I don't know how old she was. she is. Her birthday was like two days ago. So that was probably the best time I could have asked. <laughs> but, uh, um, but for somebody her age, you know, was concerned that, yeah. you know, it was going to be it for her, um, especially considering my grandpa passed away a few years ago. Mm -hmm. But um, fortunately, both my mom and my grandma, they both got better really quickly. They're both feeling great. Uh, it was actually, like, on my grandma's birthday on Friday, she tested negative. So she was able to go out and celebrate with the whole family. So mm -hmm. it was really awesome that... Um, I mean, it, uh, everything with my family, just so many health issues right. over the last few years, 
and it feels like finally we've had just so much healing and some great things happening lately. Yeah. So just huge praise for that. Yeah, yeah, it really seemed like it was just one thing after another. So we're praising God for, for what it feels no, like mercy Tyler, you can't have on it. that. <laughs> Sorry, good job, Tyler. You're awesome at this. <laughs> All right, so when me and Taylor were at volleyball on Friday, uh, we made friends with a woman named Camilla, and uh, her and her husband were excited to come join us at church this morning. And then he got appendicitis, so uh, now they're dealing with that. So I guess prayers for them. Oh, man. Out of surgery and with one less appendix. What is <laughs> Hopefully. I, I, lo- I lost mine on a very tragic day. I was supposed to pitch in the district championship, and I had appendicitis um, in high school. But what is his name again? Camilla's husband. Yep. Man. <laughs> well, that's, that's good that you guys... Madam, good timing. Thanks for sharing that, Luke. And then um, I'm Kyle. I'd just like to pray over Micah. Um, I know he's been dealing with a lot of stress recently, and there's a lot of stuff with club activities and just other stuff in his life, and it's just, you know, it's just a stressful time for him, so I just want to lift up a brother. Mm, Yeah. Yep. Thanks for sharing that. We're going to lift that guy up in prayer. So we have a lot to be thankful for in my family. Um, Andy and I moved into a new house, which we're celebrating today with a lot of people. (laughs) Daniel and Emma, you might notice, aren't here because they are actually preparing for the delivery of their baby Mm -hmm. in Spearfish. And we found out uh, the sex of our second baby is going to be a girl. If you didn't notice, I think that's all that's possible in Rapid City. All, all that's happening. Something in the water. Munson's broke it. Mun- you do have one, yeah. So I was wet. Oh, man. That's super exciting. Yeah, and as, as far as I heard, Daniel and I are back at home just playing the waiting game. Playing the waiting game. But could be any minute now. That's exciting. But, yeah, we're just celebrating um, so much that you guys having take place with new house with all that new baby girl uh hi i'm logan um i'm gonna keep bringing this up every couple of weeks but uh just prayers for camp hollow as we really swing get into full swing here um particularly high school camp actually is quite a bit further along than last year at this time with staffing um do pray that we're able to find our speaker um i have a couple leads out there for that but um this year, the struggle seems to be elementary. Mm. We're still looking for d- directors, so prayers for that, that we can find the right people. If, if you're feeling called for <laughs> that, reach out to me or um, Zach even. So, yeah, just prayers for Camp Hollow House as we get into that, the swing of that. Yeah, that's great. Just have to commend all of you guys for the, the hard work you've been putting in on that, that important opportunity to share Christ with all those kids. So we'll pray for elementary camp, for someone to coordinate that, because that is a difficult one and someone to speak in high school. (laughs) Good morning, I'm Courtney. Um, Weeks ago, we had prayed over my friend Charlene and her dad. Um, Update, dad did pass away on Monday. Um, So just having her family and our prayers for uh, moving forward. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. Sorry to hear about that, but good that she has a friend like you now close to her. So we'll be praying for Charlene, for her family. I, I just wanted to um, read from the Word of God because this verse has been 
working in my life for a long time because I'm an old lady. So <laughs> know, uh, know in all things that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thanks for sharing that, Kathleen. I think it's an important thing to be reminded of. So I'm Tim, and uh, I just would like some prayer over my summer plans because mm -hmm. I have a few different um, options that have come up, and they all kind of seem like good options that I'm interested mm -hmm. in in different ways. So just prayer for uh, direction and guidance on that. One of them is an internship in Wyoming. Um, I don't officially have that that's going to come through, but it almost certainly will. Yeah. And then there's a research project in Colorado that I'm also uh, thinking about, have applied to. I think I have a good chance of getting um, and I also have to buy a car for this summer, and I've got a couple really good options, but just through that process, mm -hmm. uh, especially because one of them has a salvage title, so be pretty careful with that. But, that's what yeah. Lane and I both drive. We're all right. <laughs> but yeah, that's, it's good to have those options, but now we'll pray for discernment for God's clear direction to you in that. But we're praising him for the options that you do have. All right. He's going to get to you. Um, I'm Kara. I just wanted to echo Evan's um, talking about all these children over here. So I find hope in the Bible. That's, that's the biggest thing for me is like, there's so much hope because it's unextinguishable. Mm. Um, and so all these youngsters over here, they, they are like so hopeful to me, you know, they're going to grow up and, and be the future and believers. And so... That's what I wanted to share about that. I did want to ask for prayers. Um, I'm struggling with family promise, so I'm taking a small break. Um, thank you, Evan. And um, I'm just, I'm not a computer whiz at all. Actually, I'm kind of a dunce. So <laughs> I, am, I would request prayers for someone to, I don't know, just drop in my lap that can, mm -hmm. that can help me out with these things. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we'll be praying for you as you attempt to build an organization. big part of that is obviously building the website, the online presence. And so we're going to pray that God sends you someone capable, equipped, knows how to do that. And then that I could take advantage of them as well. <laughs> but praying for that on you. And praying that God will give you good rest right now. To kind of jump off of what she was saying, I need prayer for, prayer for my wife and I. He mm -hmm. went from crawling to walking in less than a week. <laughs> I don't know if I've ever had this much fear in my life. Uh, <laughs> but also, um, you're talking about vehicle issues. If anybody in here has vehicle issues, problems, questions, anything, mm -hmm. I've got 15 years in the industry, please talk to me. Yeah, I, will, awesome. I have no problem giving people advice, repair options, glass, anything. I just I want to make that available to everyone, whether it be, and I, I'm not going to charge to look at it that's no but just please keep me in your thoughts for this little turd <laughs> oh yeah man thank you for offering that and yeah we'll pray for you guys as now life has just changed dramatically having to chase him down that's exciting though all right
Well, here is what I want us to do. Um, we have a good list, and thank you, you guys. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for sharing these things. Um, I'm going to have you guys, um, would you just group up with a few that you're around? Um, and would you take a few of these requests? I'm going to assign you by section here. Um, so would you get in a group of maybe four um, to five? And again, you don't have to cover everything. Not everybody has to cover every single one of them. Um, but would you guys just get into little groups? And would you pray um, for this row here, essentially? Um, so Audrey's friend um, is currently in the hospital for suicidal ideation. Would you pray for her? Pray for her faith. Um, pray for all that has gone on there. Um, would you pray for Jacob's sister, his sister Kayla, for direction um, that she is seeking from God of, of where will this internship, where will this opportunity lead for a career? Um, would you just praise God and thank God for the work that he's been doing in Luke's body and in his family um, for the healing that's been taking place in there? Um, also pray for his grandma and for his mom as they continue to heal. Um, and then would you pray for Camilla's husband, who, Logan, it sounds like you know he's out of surgery now, so would you guys pray um, for them there? Middle section here, would you guys pray over Micah, just for all that he is balancing, all that he's carrying, just for the stress, for the weight that it's put on him? Um, would you praise God for everything that's taking place in Caleb and Andy's life, all the good things they have to celebrate, like their upcoming new baby girl, their new house, um, for Daniel and Emma as well, who are currently awaiting the birth of their child, and then we get to find out if it's a boy or a girl, so that's exciting. Um, would you guys also pray for Camp Alawasa? Pray for a high school speaker, and pray for elementary leader of camp. You guys on this side, um, would you pray over Courtney's friend Charlene and her family, and also pray for their family now, as things change, as all these different opportunities of walking and running have come about for this little guy. Would you pray for Tim? Would you pray for Tim as he has these options for the summer of what it is that he is called to do? And then you're going to pray for Kara as she attempts to build this organization. Pray that God would give her rest, direction, and that someone who is able to help build a website, build an online presence for an organization would fall out of heaven like manna for her. Did I miss any? Does anybody else have the same? Looks like you guys nailed it. So with that, I'm going to pray, and then I'll dismiss you guys to group up. And would you just pray over these things for a few minutes, and then I will come pray and conclude our time. But thanks again. Thank you for leaning into this. And now let's, let's approach God's throne. So Father God, we just come before you as a body of people who worship you in the highs and the lows and in everything in between that we're not quite sure what to do with. And so we just thank you. And we just thank you for all the things that we have to celebrate here. And God, we just bring to you a whole list of things that we're asking you to do. And we thank you for being a God who has invited that, who listens to us, who acts on our behalf, who gives us good things. And so we just turn to you and we ask. And we commit to being a people who, who recognize that sometimes you answer with giving us these things, sometimes you don't, but yet we trust you in the meantime. And we commit to being a people who will continually pray, continually approach you. And so God, that's what we do right now. We just approach your throne. It's in your holy name that we pray. Amen.
So Jesus, we just declare that your body is a beautiful thing. It's compelling to us. So we thank you for the people that you've put around us um, who will go to you on our behalf, who will offer help, who will offer support. We just thank you for this common ground body. Would you continue to strengthen um, the parts of the body um, that are sick, that are weak? Would you heal? Because we know that you love this group just as you love your own body. And so we just thank you for dying for this group, that we may have access to your throne to make these requests. And so now, God, I just ask that that your voice uh, would be front and center, that you would be guiding us as we walk through your word now, that we would be a people who don't just um, retain information today, but who are changed um, by a deeper knowledge of you, that we would go out into the world and serve you um, with a new passion, with new vigor, with new skills. God, would you just work during this time? So I thank you that we get to come to you in prayer, and now as we come to your word, I just ask that you'd work. So Jesus, we love you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, you guys. I'll give you a minute um, to get back to your seats. And I always have to thank all of you um, for entering into this time, um, because obviously we do things a little differently in this church, where we don't just see church as something to do on a Sunday to be entertained, um, but we want to be active. um, And we view this also as a time to be training for ministry, um, that church is not just something we do, bless you, Isaac, on Sunday mornings. It's something that we do our entire lives. We don't just give a morning to the Lord, we give our entire lives. And so I just thank you for for, uh, leaning into this time to be equipped um, for the work that God has for you outside of this place. Um, and it's now that we're going to continue on in our series that we just began called Biblia Obscura, where we are walking through some of the parts of the Bible that might be easier to avoid, especially from a sermon series point of view. And one of the foundational things that we're doing in here is we're going through those passages of Scripture where even though we know that all Scripture is God-breathed, even though we know that the Bible is God's Word, we might be tempted to think, maybe not treat all of it that way. Um, there are certain sections of Scripture, there are certain stories, there are certain parts of it that we go, yeah, we know it's God's Word, but I'm just going to skip over this part and I'll get to the parts that are more obviously God's Word. And so that's what we're doing over the next few weeks is we're going to some of those difficult places, hopefully to try to equip you and to prepare you to be able to see God's will, God's heart for you, even in some of the most obscure parts of the Bible. And so to start off this morning, we need to get a bit of a reminder and just a foundation that that is. And so as we get into a topic that you're all going to be very excited to hear about today in a section of scripture that um, you're going to wish I told you we were covering before you showed up to church this morning. Um, I'm going to invite you um, just to stand to your feet, and we're going to read um, 2 Timothy 3.16, to, or 1 Timothy 3.16 together. I make the mistake all the time. Um, together as we... No, it is 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy 3.16 together, as we remind ourselves that this is God's word before we approach this. And so, a constant reminder is that anytime there's public reading of scriptures, we all read together. It can be really powerful or really creepy. And so, speak with your chest as we read these words together. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And this is God's holy word. You may have a seat. All right, so how many people have ever attempted the Bible in a year? Um, Not if you've completed it, if you've just attempted it. No shame here. You've attempted it. Okay. So that's a good thing to to do. I would definitely recommend trying it. 
Um, but maybe you've had this experience where, you know, you were, you were killing your Bible in a, re in a year plan, you've done it two days in a row, you're already on page four, and you get to page four, and then you read this. This is the written account of Adam's line. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created the male and female and blessed them. And when they were created, he called the man. When Adam lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness and his own image, and he named him Seth. After Seth was born, Adam lived 800 years and had all the other sons and daughters. Altogether, Adam lived 930 years, and then he died. Then Seth had lived 105 years, and he became the father of Enosh. And after that, he became the father of Enosh. Seth lived 807 years. And altogether, Seth lived 912 years. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he became the father of Kenan. And after that, and it's like day three, you're wondering, what on earth do I do with this? And so what I've heard happens is people go, well, you know, that's the Old Testament. The Old Testament's really tricky, like Genesis 5, already thrown off. Um, but maybe you heard that the New Testament is a little more explicit about Jesus, and it's a little more exciting, so you think, okay, I'm not going to make it through the Old Testament if I start here. I'll go to the New Testament. I'll start in the New Testament. And so you find your way, Matthew chapter 1, the first page of the New Testament. And this is where you get first page of the New Testament. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah, and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez. And I think you get the point. And I made sure to put as much text on the screen as possible um, because I think that's a little overwhelming. And I think many of us, we come up to these sections of Scripture that seem a little overwhelming. They seem a little obscure. And we might think, what on earth are these doing here? I'll just skip it. I'll just get to the good stuff. Um, but here's the thing with, this is a genealogical list, and the thing with genealogies in the Bible is that you really cannot avoid them. Um, whatever you do, you cannot avoid genealogies in the Bible, um, because there are about 54 genealogical lists in the Bible, which cover over 25,000 words. Um, if you were to just read without taking a breath, um, I think it would take you about three hours of solid reading to read all the genealogical lists in the Bible. So it comes out to about 3.5% of the entire Bible, just genealogical lists, lists of names. And the reality is that most Christians don't really know what to do with this. Um, this is the, these are the parts that we just get. 25,000 words, three full hours of text. We just move on by because um, we don't really know what to do with it. But the problem is I really see my role as equipping you guys for ministry, equipping you for a life of following Jesus, of being with him, being like him, being sent into the world. And I don't think it do you any favors to just entertain you this morning, um, especially because you have to be funny to entertain people. And I'm probably not always able to do that. Um, but I really want to equip you guys to have some tools so that when you come up to these parts of Scripture, or so that when your friends who you have shared Jesus with diligently and they're coming around, and they're trying to read the Bible, and they find themselves in Genesis 5, or in Matthew 1, or even in Luke, and they run into these lists, and you guys are equipped to walk them through, how is it that they can read these? How is it that they can see that this is the Word of God, that this is going to be helpful for rebuking, for teaching, correcting? How can these lists do that? And so we're going to try to do that today. We're going to try to give a strategy for reading these lists for these sections. And we're going to look at a few of them this morning. And just a few of the strategies that I would suggest is the first one is looking at name meanings. That's going to be one of the first strategies that we can do is when it comes to these lists, sometimes it can be helpful just to pause, figure out what they mean, figure out what these names mean. And we're going to talk a bit about that. There's also some of the history and the connections involved because every person mentioned is a person mentioned. It's a person with a story, with a history, with some kind of interwoven connection, eventually to Jesus, 
and to the gospel story or just to some other interesting thing in history. And it's important to look through that. Um, there's also, this is going to be the technical nerdy part, um, the structure and the changes that we'll look into. So one of the things that we really have to look at when we approach these genealogies is how it is laid out, how is it structured, and are there any different changes to it? Um, is it especially one of the things we'll notice with Matthew's genealogy? It's barely a genealogy, and he did that on purpose to teach us something. And then there are some pastoral, or there are some personal things that we can take from it that I want us to look at as well. So that's kind of the main four tools that I want to give you today, so that whenever we come up to these sections of Scripture, instead of just being overwhelmed, terrified, instead of just being like, well, I have no idea what to do with that, dear friends, you can be able to help and walk people through that. And so the first one is name meanings, okay? Now, names especially in the Old Testament, had incredible importance. I mean, the meaning of names are really important. They didn't just choose names for their children that they thought were cool. Um, they chose names for their kids based on a few really important inputs. So there are a few things that they would consider when picking these names. Um, the first kind of thing that they would consider is what was leading up to the birth of a child. And so anytime you see these lists of names, those names are really intentional. They chose them. And the first thing is what led up to their birth. And so we just went through the story of Abraham and Sarah, right? And we saw what led up to Isaac being named Isaac, which means laughter. And that is when God first said, you're going to have a child. And she was, you know, in her old age, she laughed because she thought, there's no way that's going to happen. So then once she did have him, she laughed that, wow, I am going to have a child at my age. And her laughter of disbelief was transformed into this laughter of faith. And so that's why she named Isaac Isaac. And it was these events that led up to their birth. And we can learn a lot just looking through these lists of names about just what was going on in the Old Testament setting, what was going on in that person's life, why some people were mentioned because of the different events surrounding it. Another thing that they would um, input in order to pick names was what was going on at the time of birth, right? Maybe it wasn't what was leading up to it, but what was happening right then when the, when the kid came out. And it's this funny little story recorded in 1 Samuel chapter 4 where, where God's glory um, was, was gone out of the city. The Ark of the Covenant was stolen, and God's presence had just left. And with God's presence no longer with his people, there's a woman who gave birth to a child, and she named him Ichabod. You've probably heard that name before. And this name means no glory or where is the glory. And his name was going to signify for people the rest of history that he was born at the time which God's glory just left the city. He was born in a dark time. Um, there's also some prophetic meaning to names. And this is kind of the prayer or the hope or the prophetic prediction of who the child is going to be or who they would hope that they would be. And so we're familiar with the name Jacob as literally meaning heel grabber, right? Because they named him that because on his way out, he was a twin. He was clutching his brother's heel. And this was kind of prophetic into who he was going to be because the rest of his life, he was kind of usurping control. He was kind of wrestling with others to take what wasn't his. And then he had this fun instance where God said, oh, you like to wrestle with people? Well, you know, you can wrestle with me. Um, Jesus suplexed him, uh, dislocated his hip, and changed his name to Israel. And the name Israel means wrestles with God. Or some say that it could mean God fought for or God wrestled for. And this name would be prophetic then for the people of Israel who would work their way through the wilderness, wrestling, grumbling with God, but who in the end God would fight for. God would have victory for. 
And so these are some of the inputs that we could look at for why these names came about. And so then knowing, knowing why these names are important, knowing why um, we might take names as being significant, just one example that we see um, is actually from the very first genealogy in the Bible, in Genesis chapter 5, um, the one that I tried to read as fast as possible without slurring my words. Um, but in Genesis chapter 5, you have the first genealogy, and it's just a list of the first patriarchs before the flood, before Noah, um, basically from the, the oldest sons from Adam to Noah. And the main purpose is just for pointing out who's related to Adam, whose family line is in this. But if we look at the names, we're going to see something pretty significant that's in here. And we would typically just blow by this and just wonder, like, wow, these guys were old. But when we look at the meaning of all these guys' names, this is the first list in the Bible. The first guy, Adam, means man. His son, Seth, named Seth, means appointed. The name Enosh means mortal or subject to death. It could. Um, the name Kenan means lament, or it could be to possess, but most say it's lament, sad. Um, it's something that you wish you possessed. Um, Mahalel means the shining or the blessed one of God. Jared means descends or shall come down. Enoch is dedicated to or prepared for. It's like Enoch is going to be prepared for a task. Uh, Methuselah means, well, it's kind of one of two things. Either his death brings, because this was some of the first times that they would prophesy the flood is coming, is when Methuselah was alive. And so his name kind of means his death brings, or darted man, it could. It's kind of some debate on that. The name Lamech means low, downtrodden, in despair. Uh, and then the name Noah means rest or comfort. So if you were to put all that together, do you see a story? Do you see any significance to all these name meanings? Right? That if we just blow by it, don't actually take the time to consider, well, what does this mean? Well, actually, the entire gospel is snuck in to all of these name meanings. Because if you were just to look at this, we can see pretty clearly, man, we could, you know, make it work a little better, but man was appointed to death, or he was subject to death. And so we could be sad. Um, and I have a little slide next that will kind of show us um, the name meanings if you put them all together into a bit of a sentence. And so we should be sad. And then the shining one, the blessed one of God, shall come down dedicated to or prepared for something, dedicated to a purpose, and his death brings... The downtrodden, these people mortal or subject to death, comfort and rest. Do you see the gospel there? Am I being crazy or is that pretty significant right there? That these name meetings, hidden there in the very first list of Genesis that we would just fly right by, on page four of the Bible, the gospel message is there the whole time, waiting there for us to see. And I don't think that when the Old Testament was put together, a bunch of Jewish guys sat down and said, we should put the Jesus story in there. Um, one, no way they could have done this because they didn't name these kids and they didn't believe in Jesus to begin with, okay? And so this is just God's providence working through these name meanings. And this is present here in these genealogical lists that we want to just skip right by. We want to just move on by. And we can see this when we look into the name meanings. Not only do we see what was happening during that time, but if we believe that the entire Bible is one unified story leading to Jesus, then he's in there somewhere. His thread is weaving all throughout the entire thing. And my hope, especially as we get into some of the nerdier aspects of this, is that when you see the connections present in the genealogies in the Bible, that it would cause your faith to rise. 
Um, that as you see God's providence, as you see these words as being God-breathed, hopefully you're able to just see his mighty hand um, as he has written this for us. This isn't something people could have just put together on accident. And hopefully our faith would increase today as we have a greater understanding of these weird lists that we would so easily just fly right by. But that's one of the things that we can do. Let's just look into the name meanings. Just take some time. What did this mean? Make those connections. The next tool I think we should look at is just looking at the history and the connections. Um, and this is something that isn't a great tool when you're really trying to like commit to a Bible in the year plan. You're really trying to like read a certain thing as fast as you possibly can. Um, if you're rushing to read the Bible, this isn't going to be easy. But sometimes I think we can just pause and slow down. Um, and one of the places that you would probably need to pause and slow down and just to research individual names is in the first nine pages of the book of First Chronicles. Okay, because this is the longest genealogical list in the entire Bible. Um, nine pages of this entire book are just lists of names. Nine pages. And so if there's ever a section of the Bible that people skip, if there's ever a section that I have never preached a sermon from, it is from First Chronicles 1 through 9. Um, because it is, it is 5,142 words, um, which if I were to just read right now without taking a drink of water or without mispronouncing any of the names, it would probably take like 40 minutes um, just to read all the names. But I would definitely struggle with pronunciation. Um, but with that many words, just in a list of names, there are 66 books in the Bible. This list alone is longer than 36 of them. We spent like 16 weeks in the book of Hebrews last winter and spring, and this is about 200 words longer than the entire book of Hebrews. Just a list of names, right? And so this, this list, if you come up to this section, it's going to feel daunting. Uh, one of the options is this is an opportunity for you to prove your attention span and your ability as an intelligent reader just to get through it. And maybe, you know, if you read through this this week, I'll make you a trophy or something just to say that you did it. Um, but... One of the things that I would suggest with such a big daunting list, as some of you guys are like, no, please don't make us read that, is just pause. Maybe you don't have to get through every little section of it in a day, um, but just take a name or two that seems to stand out. Um, there's so many different details mentioned about people, and just go down the rabbit hole that is that person's name, right? Just take a name or two that seems interesting, and look them up separately. Look at their connection to the rest of Scripture. Look at maybe their impact on history. I guarantee there is. If anyone has ever been mentioned in the Bible, I wasn't mentioned in the Bible. People that were mentioned, significant things um, happened in and around them. And so just look into those people. Are they mentioned in any other stories? A lot of you know, good study Bibles or good resources will have little connections. If you just click on a name, it'll tell you where else they appear in the Bible or who else they're connected to. And this can be a great way um, to just make this daunting list very clear on how God could use it in our life. And just a few examples of this from the 5,000-word wealth that is this list um, is we can just look into a few names. Um, the first of which is mentioned in First Chronicles chapter 7, verse 24. And this is the kind of little mention that you get is, okay, in First Chronicles 7, 24, there was this guy who's mentioned, and his daughter was Shira, who built lower and upper Beth Haran, as well as Uzen Shira. Okay? So you engineering ladies out here, this is your patron saint of female engineers. She built two whole cities. I don't know how you build cities, but she did it. And all of these cities are actually still inhabited to this day. They're currently in the Palestinian section of Israel, and they have a population of about 300,000 people. But right here, 
If you're doing a study of engineers in the Bible, don't leave Shira out. She was a significant lady. And one of the things that you find, not only through history, is just her family and all the different connections and the role that they all played into building what is now a pretty important part of the world. But we would just gloss right by and say, okay, this guy had a daughter named Shira who built cities. Cool. Good for her. Smart lady. But that's important. One of the things that we can look into. Also in that same chapter, it's in verse 2. It's just kind of listing these family tribes, and it's listing how many soldiers they have. And there's a guy mentioned named Uzi. Uzi. And it just mentions that he's a guy who had a lot of historical victories, and he had a really strong family. Um, he had one of the biggest armies. He was really powerful. And the name Uzi means strength. And I don't know if you're familiar with the firearm called an Uzi, but it was named after him. Because Uzi means strength, and he had many victories. He had a ton of historical victories. What does that have to do with anything? I don't know, but I'm talking about genealogies. I have to find something interesting, okay? <laughs> I'm kidding. There's a lot more to it than that. But, frankly, finding some of these fun little facts, um, preparing yourself to just be amazing and unstoppable at Bible trivia can be a great way for us to just not skip this because that's the, the alternative that most people turn to is just skipping this. I don't know what to do with this guy, Uzi. Well, what if we just pause? What if we're not just trying to get a homework assignment done? What if we recognize this is God's word? God recorded this for a reason. What if we just took some time to look into it? And I think it's important for us, especially just with these people, is to remember that our faith is built on real historical events, real people in real places. And some of these little lists are some of the best ways that we can be reminded of just the place in history that has. That we can continue to remember that we root our faith not just in these spiritual stories that have allegorical meanings, but real people, real events, in real places. I think we desperately need to be reminded of that over and over again. This isn't just a list of spiritualized stories. God was working in and through history, just like he continues today. Because when we read through, especially the First Chronicles list, I mean, my first thought is like, why on earth would I want to spend 45 minutes reading through a list of names? Which is a fair question, but I think a more fair question that we always have to ask is, why did God record all these names? Why did God record over 5,000 words, dedicate that in his book, just recording these names? And one of the first, like, pastoral personal implications I think we can take from this is maybe very simple, but I think still important, of just realizing that God cares for people. That God cares for people. That God, out of the billions of people who have lived throughout history, still records and lists these names. He cares about them. He lists all these people. He lists prostitutes, engineers, moms, dads, farmers, gardeners, musicians. There's one section in that First Chronicles list that just covers people who carried parts of the tabernacle. Hey, this family carried the boards listed, right? And I think for some of us who are constantly wondering, like, are we having an impact on the world? Are we serving God enough? Are we doing enough to actually, like, affect generations down the line? Are we doing enough? Is God happy with us? One of the things that I think just reading these lists can remind us of is just how much God cares about people, regardless of how impressive or special or world-changing you are. God records some people who cut hedges in there, that all these people matter to God. Some people are mentioned simply because they were born. What a good reminder to us. God cares for people. 
that maybe we don't have to do the greatest things or have the greatest like impact that we're trying to do. God has called some of you to it, so sorry, you're not off the hook. But maybe we just be faithful with the task that God has for us, even if it doesn't seem significant enough. You know? God listed people who did things that we might consider really insignificant. But yet he found the ink to make sure that was recorded for all of history. And I think this is another reminder to us that not only did God care to record these people in this book, but God cares enough that he to record us in his book, right? That he wants to record all of us in the book of life. That God cares for people, he records that. And what we have to see, especially just in this list, is that the Bible is a unified story leading to Jesus. And all of these people, their lives lead to Jesus to point to him in some way. And that's the purpose of our lives as well. Some way, be pointing to Jesus. That our lives don't have value because we had this awesome, amazing job, because we did these awesome, amazing things, but because of our connection to Christ. I think an important thing to remember. So if you would take on the difficult task, that could be your homework challenge this week. Just read First Chronicles 1 through 9. Right? 45 minutes, not too bad. It will take you longer than 45 minutes, though, I promise you. Get through it. Take your time. Just be amazed at God's love and care for people there. The next tool I want to equip you with is the ability to see the structure of genealogies in the Bible. Okay? Now, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, um, the Old Testament ends either with Malachi or with Second Chronicles. Um, but either way it ends, especially in the book of Malachi, it's a story in search of an ending, just crying out, waiting for the Messiah. When will the Messiah come and set everything right? And then you get into Matthew chapter 1 that we already read, where it's this point that all of human history was leading up to. The revelation of God became man, come to set the world right and save the world. And we have the most anticlimactic introduction to him that we could probably imagine in a genealogy in Matthew chapter 1, right? That seems like not the most exciting way to do it. Um, But one of the things we have to remember again, as we talked about last week and a few weeks ago, is the Bible's written for us, but it's not written to us. And the original culture that it was written to, they like genealogies a little bit more, right? Like we like DNA tests, they like genealogies. Um, And the scholar N.T. Wright put it this way, of why the Messiah would be introduced with a genealogy. And he said this, he said, for many cultures, ancient and modern, and certainly for the Jewish world of Matthew's day, this genealogy is the equivalent to a roll of drums, a fanfare of trumpets, and a town crier calling for attention. Any first century Jew would find this family tree both impressive and compelling, like a great procession down a city street. We watch figures at the front and ones in the middle, all through this genealogy. But all the eyes are waiting for the one who comes in the position of greatest honor right at the end. The whole thing is a crescendo and a climax to Jesus, the Messiah. That if you were to capture the ancient reader's attention that the most important person is coming, the way that you do it is through this genealogy, especially the one in Matthew chapter 1 that lists all of the most important figures from the Old Testament leading right to Jesus. And so we're going to spend some time in Matthew 1 If you found your way there, find your way to the first page of the New Testament. Because at the surface, um, it just looks like a regular little genealogical list. Um, And on the surface, it's just like, well, yeah, Matthew had to explain how this, you know, peasant from the north of Jerusalem um, was the king of the world. And he was tracing his royal bloodline from Jesus to David, right? 
from king to king, and he was pointing out how Jesus could sit on the throne. Um, But there's a whole lot more below the surface than just him pointing that Jesus is in line for the throne. Um, The first thing is that Matthew's genealogy is not a normal genealogy at all. Um, For starters, um, maybe your Bible has a footnote on it, or maybe if you're using a digital resource, you could click on the word genealogy. But Matthew didn't use the word for genealogy. He used the word for Genesis. He said the origin. So one, he kind of warned us, like, hey, this isn't going to be a regular list. This is like a stylistic origin story of Jesus. And then he has all these different interesting structural changes that you don't notice if you skip the First Chronicles genealogy. But if you just spent 45 minutes getting through that, you'll be able to see it. Um, but I'll just point out three of the little changes, three of these structural differences in Matthew's genealogy here. And the first one is the inclusion of four Gentile women. Okay, now show of hands, who has heard before that, you know, Matthew's genealogy is out of the ordinary because it included women and genealogies in the Bible never included women, right? It was unique just for the inclusion of women, right? That's kind of a popular Christmas sermon. The problem is it's not actually correct that genealogies never contained women. Um, Because the reality is, one, this is another sign that people skip genealogies. Um, Because if you read the one in 1 Chronicles, you would see that there are over 50 women mentioned by name in the First Chronicles 1 through 9, 50 of them. And then there are a bunch of others who were kind of mentioned indirectly, you know, like the mom of so-and-so, the daughter of so-and-so, and their names weren't mentioned. But it wasn't that uncommon for women to be mentioned. Um, actually, what was more common is that there were four specific women who were almost always mentioned in genealogies, and they were the four matriarchs of Israel. And so usually, there were four specific women that were mentioned in Old Testament genealogies, and they were Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, and Leah. And there are actually more genealogies with those four women than genealogies with no women. So the idea that they were never mentioned, I think you've been skipping them. If you go back, you'll see that these four particular are almost always mentioned, right? Either Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, or Leah are in there. And so what Matthew has done differently is not just the inclusion of a few women, but it's that he included not these four matriarchs, but actually four Gentile women. And this is actually a significant change that he's showing here. It was that Jesus' story isn't just wrapping up the story of Israel and wrapping up the story of this family. It's not just the crescendo to this one family. It's actually the crescendo. It's actually the hope for the entire world, for all these people groups, for the Jew and the Gentile alike. And so the four that are mentioned in Jesus' genealogy in Matthew chapter 1 are Rahab, who was a Canaanite prostitute. She's got a fun story where she hides these spies of Israel in there. It mentions Tamar, who was also a Canaanite, um, and she has a very non-PG story in Genesis chapter 38 that you can read. Um, There's Ruth, who was a Moabite. So if you're familiar with Moab, it was a people group that came out of Lot's incestuous relationships with his daughters, and basically everyone around hated the Moabites. Um, They couldn't help why they were born that way, but everyone around hated them. Ruth, who's mentioned in Jesus' genealogy, was a Moabite. Um, And then Bathsheba is mentioned. And as far as we know, she wasn't Jewish. She was married to a Hittite, and so most likely she was probably a Hittite. Um, But either way, she obviously has a rough story, um, the way that she entered in with David, at best seducing her, at worst raping her. 
right? And we have those four women being the ones mentioned instead of these four matriarchs. And so those are the four mentioned instead of these famous ones. And what Matthew is intending to point out here is that, look, all kinds of people are wrapped up in this story. That this is the story of Jesus, and it's not just for the Jew, it's for the Gentile as well. It's not just for holy men, good people. It's for women, it's for sinners. All people are wrapped up in Jesus' story. All people were waiting for the arrival of the Messiah. And what he's showing is that actually all genealogies, you could take a list, anything in the Bible, this is where it was all leading to. That Jesus is the culmination of the hope of all people. Of all people. He's the fulfillment of hope for all humanity. It's what he's showing by emphasizing Gentile women. By these very non-PG stories that you have with a lot of them. And that's the first thing to notice. It's just the inclusion there. That Sarah wasn't mentioned in there. We just read how important Sarah was for the story. She's not mentioned. Instead, we have others. And Matthew is trying to point out that Jesus is the hope for the entire world, for all humanity. And one of the things that we have to do in order to notice these things is just read through some of the other genealogies. And you'd notice this, that those four women are replaced by the four that he chose. Um, the next thing that we notice about Jesus' genealogy here is that Matthew made some significant changes as well. Um, he kind of he moved some names around and used some, some creative, prophetic, stylistic things here. Because again, he told you, hey, I'm not writing a genealogy, I'm writing a Genesis. And God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, was helping him to give a message here. And so if you look at verse 8 or verse 10, um, your Bible might have a little footnote on it. I know the ESV has a little footnote. I don't think the NIV does. Um, but there will be, bless you, there will be a little footnote on verse 8 um, where, and verse 10 where Matthew changed a few names on purpose. Guys that should have been in one spot, he changed one letter on two different names to change them in order to communicate something really significant. And the two ones that he did change, um, they're both two well-known kings. He uh, swapped out Asa and Ammon, who if you read their stories, you'll see that they were people whose lives were just kind of marked by injustice and bad things. And Matthew actually swapped one letter in each of their names um, so that instead of reading Asa, you would read Asaph. And if you've read through the Psalms much, then you'll recognize that name, that Asaph probably wrote the second most Psalms in the book of Psalms. And most of his psalms, as Asaph was writing, you know, worship songs, most of them were about the Messiah. That that's like the major theme that Asaph wrote about, was the coming of the Messiah, the hope for Israel with the Messiah. And so, he did a little switcheroo there to make it Asaph. The next one that he changed is he changed Ammon, and just by changing one letter um, in the Greek there, it went from Ammon to Amos. Recognize the name Amos? So Amos is a prophet. If you read through his book, he was a prophet that was just crying out for the Messiah. When will the Messiah come? When will the injustice end? And he was prophesying about the coming of Jesus. And so both of these two, whenever we read through Amos, we think about the coming of the Messiah. Whenever we read through Asaph's Psalms, we have this, this building up in our heart for Jesus to arrive. And Matthew just switched two letters here to make that message clear. 
And listen, this wasn't like an accidental mistake. It wasn't like, oopsie, and this happened. Um, One, I think Matthew was probably a lot smarter than you and me. And he was also writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so this isn't a clumsy little switch, right? And we know this happened. Most of your Bibles will tell you that it happened. But this was deliberate on purpose. This is deliberate so that it would catch our attention to see that Jesus is the one that these Old Testament prophets were crying out to. Jesus is the one that these Psalms were written about. And this can be really easy to miss if we weren't familiar um, with the genealogies in the past. If we weren't familiar for the fact that, oh, Asa should probably be there and not Ammon. It's really subtle, but it's something that we can see. And it's something that God has put in this very obscure little section of genealogies. But it's a powerful message that Jesus is the fulfillment of all these things. That's the second little tool for Matthew's genealogy. Um, The third thing to be aware of in terms of the structure and the changes made to Jesus' genealogy is as you read through Matthew 1, you'll see that it's recorded that there were 14 generations um, between, you know, so-and-so and and -and so-and-so. And I know that you guys have good instincts, and you read that and you go, well, that must be significant, right? Why is he making it, like, such a big deal that there are 14 generations? And you'd be right to notice that and say, okay, well, there's something there. There's something unique about this, that he's telling us that there were 14 generations, because there is something going on here. And this is the one that is almost going to seem a little bit like YouTube at 2 a.m. conspiracy theory type stuff. Um, But what most scholars say is what's happening here is a bit of a stylistic tool called gematria, where numbers in the Hebrew language uh, or letters would represent numbers. And so the letter A could represent number one, letter B represent number two. And so you could infuse meaning into a story, into a letter um, with numbers. You know, you could communicate kind of a secret meaning, and some people just go wild with it. Um, don't look that up. Um, but essentially what's happening here is if this is to show Jesus' connection to the royal line of David, well, David's name which actually they didn't have vowels, right? Just consonants in the Hebrew language. And so his name had the D, numerical value of four, and then the V, numerical value of six, and then the four again for a total of how many, you math geniuses? Fourteen. Okay, so David's name in this gematria-type style would add up to 14 as kind of a way of communicating, well, Jesus is heir to David's throne. When you see this 14 you immediately think of David, right? The number 14 is just associated with David. That's just the way that it is. David was the best king of Israel. David was the one through whom the Messiah would come in his line. And so this number 14 should always be a connection to David there. And this seems really weird. I know like a rough connection to us, but we kind of have a similar thing in our culture where like with professional athletes, we connect numbers to them all the time, right? Like whose number is this first picture here? This first number. It's Michael Jordan, right? And Jordan has a clothing brand where they don't even put his name on it sometimes. They just put a 23 on it. And you know right away, this is Michael Jordan. Okay, and there's a similar thing, right? Or the next one is Jackie Robinson. Jackie Robinson's the number 42, right? And no one in Major League Baseball is allowed to wear the number 42 because it's reserved, it's retired for Jackie Robinson because before Jackie Robinson, there was not a single non-white athlete in American professional sports until he came around. And he really broke that chain and opened that up. And one day a year, 
all the players in the major leagues wear the exact same number, and it's on Lena's birthday, Jackie Robinson Day, where every player on every team wears the number 42. And you know with the number 42, that's Jackie Robinson. You know with the number 23, that's Michael Jordan. And in the same way, a Jew at the time who would have read Matthew's letters would see number 14, and they go, ah, that's David. Probably like 8 out of 10 would have gotten it right away, right? They would have picked up on that. And this is what Matthew is doing. He's saying, hey, there are 14 generations. And so this should key us in to be like, okay, yeah, connection to David, connection to David. But there's another thing in that where if you have your Bible open there, from you could even count from like Jesus backwards where it said there are 14 generations between him and the exile, where Matthew said there were 14 generations, but if you go through and you count, well, how many fathers are listed, Matthew said there were 14, but there aren't. There's actually only 13 fathers listed. With the first list, leading up to the exile, he mentions 14 fathers. Then with the second little one, there are only 13. Which, one, that's kind of an easy thing for us to find as we're just looking through structure. Is okay, if he said there were 14, are there really 14? If not, it's not an accident. It's not just a sloppy mistake, right? All scriptures God breathed. This is put here for a reason. Okay, well, if there are only... 13 here, leading up to Jesus. But Matthew said there were 14 generations, and there should be 14 fathers in here. Well, what question does that beg then? Well, who is Jesus' father? Is this not cool? Come on, you guys. This is really cool. It's very nerdy and very obscure, but that's kind of the point, is we can't skip these things. But this, I mean, this can be revealed just through counting. Matthew said 14, there are only 13. What's going on? The very next story, story of the virgin birth. This was a setup for the next story to make it clear that Jesus did not have his earthly father. There's one missing, and it should beg the question, well then, how how did Jesus come about? Okay, well, the next story is going to answer that. It's going to be the story of the virgin birth, right? I think it's amazing. I think it's amazing. And it's almost like Matthew had help here. It's really cool. But the reality is, you know, One, tuck these tools away. Use these. Go read these stories on your own. Try to tinker with this. Um, But the reality is that we are separated from even Matthew's genealogy um, by a few thousand years, by big cultural differences. And I think we still have to, you know, ask the question, okay, this is all interesting. This is really going to help us to read this. Um, But also, you know, how does this shape how we follow Jesus today? How does this shape and transform our lives today? Um, And that's where we get into just what I want to end on here, and that's just some of the personal implications here, some of the pastoral implications that I think God speaks to us through these genealogies. And the first one is that genealogies show that Jesus' story is our story. Jesus' story is our story, right? That Jesus is the climax of the story of Israel and the climax of history of humanity itself. And so when we read through the New Testament, Hopefully you see that you're adopted into God's family. You're called a son. You're called a daughter. You are part of God's family. Jesus' origin story is our origin story. And this is the story that we live into. Because, you know, everyone is trying to find, you know, a purpose for humanity. All the different, like, isms that we live into and that we follow with capitalism, communism, atheism, anything that you want to live into is 
an assumption that, well, humans exist for a purpose, and this is all leading somewhere, or we need to take it somewhere. And what Jesus makes, maybe not clear, but a little obscure, through genealogies, is that his story is the one that we live into. His story is the one that enlightens us to know what does it mean to be human? Where is all of this going? And when we know where it's all going, we know how it is that we can live today. And so the question that we have to ask, then as a Jesus follower, is if this is the story I'm called to lean into and live into, then what am I doing to continue to do that? Because see, I think often we want to just kind of drag Jesus into our story. You know, like, hey, we're kind of living our life. We're going in our direction. Um, but I want Jesus, you know, as bodyguard God or as self-help guru or as psychologist Jesus just in here with me to help me accomplish what I want to accomplish and to do what I want. But what we have to see is that Jesus came so that not that we could drag him into our story, but he came to drag us into his story. He came to make it clear we're headed off another direction. And he's come in as the crescendo to all humanity to bring us into his story, to bring us into his family. And that because of what he's done, we get to be part of his family. We get to be members. We get to be added to this long list, right? And this is what the genealogies of the Bible show us. And so this week, when you do read nine chapters in First Chronicles, and you see all these random people and skills, um, my prayer is that you would see just Jesus dragging people into his story. Um, that you would see that Jesus can and will use anyone and anything. And as you look at these people mentioned, um, engineers, farmers, gardeners, musicians, all these different things, um, would you see all the different people that God uses, all the different abilities, all the different occupations, all the different tragic events? As you look up some of these people, especially just in Jesus' story, you just see nasty story after nasty story. And what is shown very clearly is that God is working all of this together for good. And I'm reminded of what Joseph said to his brothers when they had sold him to slavery. He was in Egypt, but he was there for a reason, and he told them when he revealed himself to them that you intended this for evil, but God intended this for good. And if you're anything like me, then you probably have moments of your life when you feel like you're just making a big old mess, and you're wondering, well, there's no way that God could clean this up. Um, maybe... If you're like me, I don't often doubt God's existence, but I doubt whether or not I could like completely mess up his plan or just ruin everything. Um, I think this is a good reminder to us to see like, well, either way, we worship a crucified Messiah where it looked like what was evil was the worst thing that could have happened, um, where Satan put this idea in Judah's head and where sin seemed to have the final word. And then God, through his sovereignty, just pulls a judo move on evil and uses the weight of evil for his purposes. And what we see here is God can use everything. And as we look through all these stories of the Old Testament, all these people mentioned, all these people that, you know, are trying to forego God's plan and trying to do all these things, right? It's very clear when we get to Jesus and we get to his genealogy with him at the end of that parade is like anyone who thought that they could go against his will it's like, no, you got played, son. Like, Jesus is the one. His plan is the one that was going to take place. And this is one of the things that's not always easy to see in genealogies, um, but it's not always easy to see in our own lives as well, that God is in control, that God is sovereign over these things, right? 
And I know that many of us have had the experience over the last 5, 10, maybe 20 years where in the moment it sure didn't look like God was there with you, sure didn't look like your mistakes could in some way be shifted, turned, used for good. And oftentimes that's how our lives feel. It's just like looking at a genealogy. God, what on earth is the point of this? Are you here? Are you working? Are you doing this? And let me just tell you that one of the main things I think these genealogies show us is that God can and will use anything, that God's hand is on your life, God's hand is on his story, and it is leading somewhere. It is leading somewhere. And every chance we, every day we have this chance to to continue to be aware of that, to live into that, to live into the call that he has on us, and to trust that God is working in and through our lives, even when it doesn't look like it, even when it doesn't feel like it. That even these insignificant people that we see listed, I mean, God shows very clearly through the scriptures that generations down the line, God had used their life, he used their story to lead all the way to Jesus, all the way to a world being changed. And I think we just need to live with some of the patience, some of the awareness that whatever is going on in our lives right now might not look very clear that he's working, that he's in control, but that somehow at the end of the line, he's working all things for good. It's kind of like, you know, when you zoom into something too closely, you can't really see, but it's when you zoom out, just like on these genealogies, when you pull back, that you can see the connections, you can see the impact that Jesus is having, and that's kind of where God is working from, if you didn't know. From God's standpoint, your life is part of his overall story. He's leading it, he's directing it. Might not seem like it, but he is. And so we can be patient, we can know that God's invisible hand is on us. We can know that he cares about us. He values us even when we don't feel like we're very significant. He might just be another footnote in here. But yet God cares enough to record you in his book of life. And I think genealogy shows us that. But we need to be reminded of it. And we just can't skip it. We just can't move on in ignoring it. Because every detail of our lives is covered by his work in his hand somewhere in there. We're reminded of that when we take the time to see that every word in Scripture has been placed there by his hands. So now I'm going to invite you um, to stand as we're going to pray, and we're going to enter into a time of communion and worship. So would you stand as we pray here? So Father God, um, we just thank you that, that our lives are significant because we're part of your story, um, that we don't have to earn notoriety, recognition. We don't have to prove ourselves valuable to you that you love us, that you have made us part of your story because of what Jesus did on the cross. And we just thank you for that. We just thank you for that. And God, now I pray for this body here, for all the different things that go on in life that make it hard to see your hand at work. Would you just constantly remind us of your presence in our lives? Would you constantly remind us of your greater plan? And would you continue to steer us in the direction that you have for us? God, we believe that your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And we believe that, that you lead us on straight paths. And so, God, we just thank you for that. We thank you for speaking to us, even in obscure little ways like this. Would you, as, as people take on the, the difficult task of reading your word through genealogies this week, God, would you just be speaking? Would your Holy Spirit be revealing stuff to Comic-Con Church this next week? 
And so now, um, we just turn to you in worship. I'm praising you for what you've done. It's in your holy name that I pray. Amen. So we're going to transition into communion now. And it was a few weeks ago that we talked about how Jesus often pointed out that the entire Old Testament, it's, it's a picture book. It's a, it's a story that was leading and pointing to him. And there are all these different things in the Old Testament that make it very, very clear what was pointing to him. And communion is one of those. Because when Jesus instituted communion, he did it at the Passover meal. And what he was making clear was that the Passover story was actually about him. That just as the angel of death was making its way through the town and the Israelites were instructed to paint blood on their doorposts, well, participating in communion is doing just that. It is the blood of Jesus painted on the doorposts of your heart. And that's what we're doing here. We're reenacting that story as Jesus recognizes that this entire story pointed to me. And so I'm going to invite you um, to come forward to grab the communion elements. And would you just remember that this, this is a significant act in which we are remembering that without his blood, that we would be subject to death. And so I'm going to invite you um, to participate in this. But again, always the reminder that, that you're welcome to sit. And if you are not a person who believes in Jesus yet, you're still trying to figure this out, then you're welcome to sit. You don't have to fake it. You don't have to fake painting the blood on your doorpost just because everybody else is doing it, but that this is something that he's calling us to, that we want to be obedient to. And so I'm going to invite you to grab the communion elements now. over. Jesus, the night that he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks for it, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of him. So let's do this in remembrance of him. And just as blood was painted on the doorposts, the homes to save from death. We recognize that this is the blood of the new covenant painted on the doorposts of our hearts to save us from certain death. Because in the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink of it in remembrance of me. 
So let's drink in remembrance of him. So Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for offering us life when you're facing certain death. And now we just turn to you in praise, declaring that you are holy, you're great and mighty. And so just as all creation declares your praises, God, we join in with that chorus, submitting to the work that you've done, thanking you. So God, we love you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.